21, this Palm Sunday. And I invite you to rest your eyes on verse 13, but beginning in verse 13 of chapter 21. If you have it, say amen. But he answered one of them and he said, friend, how about if I read the right chapter? That sounded good too. <laughs> and he said to them, it is written, my house shall not be called a house of, shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were angry. And he said to them, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said, and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of babes and nurse, nursing infants, you have perfect praise. Then he left them and went out of the city of Bethany, and he lodged there. Father, we bless you, and we thank you for all that you have already done in our presence. And God, it's our heart's desire that we don't leave the way we came. How can we be in the presence of the healer of all diseases and leave sick? Father, we thank you that sometimes our healing is not physical, it's spiritual. Sometimes it's not just temporal, it's eternal in terms of how we will experience it and understand it. Now, oh God, may we be humble enough to accept your will, your will, your will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. Fill us with your spirit afresh. We ask this in Jesus' name in the church said amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We thank the Lord for his presence in this place. We are going to depart from our series, Second Mile Christians, for this Sunday and next uh, due to the special occasion and as was already mentioned, we live in a very unique time. Things that we understood and we were taught growing up about church, about the Bible, about prayer, about what is true and what is untrue, uh, all of those things are under attack today as never before. And so we need to return to some of the basics of our faith so that these things are not, they're not forgotten. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, lift up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. If you lived 3,000 years ago, 
When David penned these words, the identity of the king of glory was concealed. You would not have known who David was writing about. In fact, David didn't know himself. But 1,000 years after David, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, recorded these words that I've just recited to you, the apostle Paul definitively answered the question, who is the king of glory, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, when he says, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer slaves, but sons, and if sons, then an heir of God through Christ. We are heirs of the King of glory, who is none other than Jesus Christ. As believers, we are sons and daughters of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. And since we know who the King of glory is, we need to act like it. Tell somebody, act like it. Here's the interesting thing as I'm, as I'm Thinking about the fact that we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ, we are the chief beneficiaries. If Jesus had a last will and testament, if he had an insurance policy uh, that was to be uh, cashed in at the time of his death, your name and my name is on that policy. We are heirs of Christ. And Christ is the King of glory, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And I don't care how long you've been in the kingdom as a child of God through the shed blood of Jesus when you placed your trust. It could have been 40 years ago, 50 years ago. The youngest of those who have said yes to Jesus is just as entitled to every blessing that is Christ as you are. Uh, none of us are inferior. And that's why we should want every child of God to be great, uh, because we are all children of the king. We're sons and daughters of the king. Amen? Amen. So when I succeed, you succeed. The Bible says the strong must bear the infirmities of the weak. We should weep with those who weep. We should rejoice with those who rejoice. We should act like it. Jesus is the king of glory. Now, we're going to just talk about this very basic teaching in the Bible about what it means uh, that Jesus is king and how we should respond in relationship to who he is. First thing I want you to understand that Jesus is the real king in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, Romans chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and John chapter 18, verses 3, 36 through 37. The reason why we know that Jesus is king, that he is royalty, that he is the one who was predicted uh, thousands of years before he was even born, is because the Father promised it. Say, the Father promised it. In verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9, it says, Of the increase of his government and peace, 
there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform it. The zeal of the Lord shall establish it. The reason we know that Jesus is king, the king of kings, the king of glory, the king who's mighty in battle, the king who has all authority and power in his hands is because God promised it. Isaiah wrote 800 years before the incarnation. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son. And this one who became flesh through the incarnation is none other than Jesus, the Mogo Ganes. The Bible says, God so loved you and me that he gave his only Mogo Ganes, his only unique son, the only one of his kind, that whosoever believes in him, the one who took on human form, who existed in the form of God before taking on human form, and therefore he did not regard equality with God, something that he had to obtain, something he had to, to achieve, because Jesus is God. I and the Father are one. Are you still with me? The Lord promised through the prophet Isaiah 800 years before Jesus was even born physically through the Virgin Mary, that he would come and that his kingdom would be universal. Say universal. universal. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Jesus the king would reign over the entire earth. We know that he came, the king has come, but he's coming back. The Bible says, why to the disciples as they looked at Jesus ascending into heaven, said, so why are you staring? Why are you so dumbfounded? Why are you so confused? In the same way that Jesus was carried up, ascended, he shall return. That's why Jesus says, be ye also ready for a moment or the hour that you think not that the Son of Man will return because he's coming back, church. The way he left, he's coming back. He left in bodily form. They saw him. And right now, the same Jesus who left us, who came to earth, took on human form, who, was, who is the king of glory, the Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's your advocate. We, are, we talked about that last week when we talked about Simon. Simon, the Lord promised, the Father promised it, that his, his, his reign would be universal and it would be eternal to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forever and even forever. Jesus' kingdom, his reign, the king of kings, the king of glory is going to reign forever. And he's going to reign in righteousness and justice. Aren't you glad that you don't have to vote for this king? Aren't you glad he's not a Democrat or a Republican? Aren't you glad that he's not a liberal or a moderate? Aren't you glad that he's the captain of our salvation? The Bible says he is an impartial judge. And one day this Jesus who came in swaddling clothes, who came first as a lamb, is coming back as the Lion of Judah. He will reign eternally, but his reign will also be supernatural. The zeal of the Lord will perform it. And so this is going to be a reign like no other reign. It's not going to be selling you one thing, and it's not true. It's going to be this, this kingdom will be not only reign in righteousness, but it will be supernatural. It's going to be a reign where every day will be Sunday. It's going to be a reign where there's no more sin. There's going to be a day when the word, the, the tablets, of our heart will have the engrafted word. That day is coming. 
And the reason we know that he's the real king is because the father promised that you have a king. His name is Jesus. He is his king of glory. I wonder, have you ushered him into your life? I wonder, do you have a personal relationship with this king of glory? Because if you do, all power and authority is in his hands. And through his blood, we have access to him. The scripture also confirmed it in Romans chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The Bible says, which he promised, this is the word of God, which he promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. When you study your Bible, unfortunately, we don't know a word because there's authority in knowing the word of God. When you know the word, you can speak the word of God and the devil has to flee because the word of God is alive. It's powerful. That's why the scripture tells us we're commanded to study, to show your who's self-approved. The pastor needs to study. The deacons need to study. No, no, no. Study to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed so you can rightly divide the word of truth. The word of truth is a lamp unto our path, a light. They would say, your word instructs and guides me. How should a young man cleanse his ways? By keeping heed to your word. He says, my word have I treasured. Your word. So the scripture confirms that Jesus is the king concerning the son, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The thing that the scripture tells us about Jesus is one, he's human. He's human that he, God took on human form. He is the son of David, according to the flesh. So when we talk about the Trinity and God the Father, God the Son, that God, Jesus who existed in eternity past, literally entered into time and space and history and became a man. The Bible says he emptied himself, he divested himself, he voluntarily restrained from using all of his divine powers. And so according to the seed of David, 800 years, even going back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the word of God said that through the the through the wound of a woman in the seed of man, that the Messiah, the King of Kings, the King of glory would come. He would be born in human form without sin. He is divine, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. So he's the real king because not only is he human, but he's both God and man. He's divine according to the spirit he has declared. He didn't become the son of God when he took on human form. He's always been the eternal son of God. He's existed as God before there was time. And before there was time, there wasn't time. There was Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. Amen. He came to dwell. He came to dwell. Why did he come to dwell? The Bible says we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses, but Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. He lived among us, and he was tempted like we are yet without sin. And because he came in human form and dwelled among us, the Bible says because he overcame sin as the king of kings, the king of glory, that we can come boldly unto the throne of grace and obtain mercy. And the time anybody have any needs... 
I, I, you don't have to be bashful when it comes to the Lord. You can bust right into the presence of God because of what Jesus accomplished on your behalf. He took your place. He took my place. He was my substitutionary atonement. He was the one that hung on the cross. And if there was a way for you to go back 2,000 years ago and you looked on the cross, it wouldn't be surprising to me if you could find your name affixed to the cross because it wasn't because of his sin he died. He died for you. He died for me. He took on human form. He dwelled among us and he showed us through his perfect sinless life that he in fact was God. He was really the lamb that was slain without a spot nor blemish. The scriptures confirm that God promised that he was the real king and Jesus the Savior proved it. John chapter 18, verses 36 through 37, Jesus is standing before Pilate, who thinks he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And don't you understand that I had the power to take your life? And he says, nobody has any power. Let me give it to them. He said, nobody's going to take my life unless I voluntarily lay it down. That's why Jesus had to say to his spirit, I commend you. I direct you, I command you to go back to where you came from. He's the only one who has the authority to tell a spirit where to go. When you die, you've already made your decision. <laughs> the spirit's going to go based on your relationship with the Lord. The Bible says we can be confident, even willing, when we die, to be absent, to be separated from the body. The spirit goes back to be with the Lord. But if you don't know Jesus, he that has the son has life. He that does not have the son does not have life. Does somebody know what I'm talking about? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you have said rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, and I should, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He hears my voice. Jesus says, yes, I'm king. I'm the king of glory. I'm the one that when Jesus steps in, you, when you recognize who Jesus is, it ought to humble you. It ought to cause you to have reverence for him. It ought to make you understand that you are somebody because you know somebody. He has made you somebody through his shed blood. We were once estranged to God, but now we've been brought near through his. I keep going back to the blood because without the blood, without his blood, if he hadn't died, if he hadn't come and, and given his life as a sacrifice for us, our sins would be like the Old Testament. We would still be bringing uh, 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 lambs and birds. I can just see some of us where they got to bring a squirrel. No, no squirrels. The animal sacrifices covered sin temporarily, but the blood of Jesus removed sin as far as the east is from the west, cast into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. That's why the Bible says after he died and he breathed his last breath, he didn't. We did what the other priests could never do. The scripture said he sat down. He sat down because the work of redemption for you and me was accomplished once and for all. Tell Telesti, it is finished. He's not finished. The work of redemption is finished. Why don't you help me out here? This is, this is, a, this is, this is not an easy sermon. 
when you're trained as a teller at a bank to identify fake currency. It's really unique how they train you. I, and I'm imagining that they still do, and none of you would ever be guilty of uh, uh, involving you know, fake trans, uh, currency or checks that bounce as high as you can throw a, you know, a, a fully inflated basketball. You know, you set the check in the offering plate and it, bounce, it didn't bounce to the ceiling, but praise the Lord, he doesn't expose us like that. And we don't have that problem here at our church. Amen. And even if we did, I don't know about it. So if I'm looking at you funny, it's not because I know your check. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm not involved with that. Yeah. <laughs> and so they would, the way they train you to identify counterfeit and false currency is they never show you anything but the legitimate article. And so when something is not legitimate, when it's not genuine, when it's not the real thing, you automatically, because you've seen thousands of bills, thousands of uh, checks, and by the time you've seen what a check is supposed to look like and the signature and so forth, you just know it. <laughs> when you understand from your personal experience from receiving the Christ, the son of the living God, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, you understand that he is the real king of glory who is righteous and just, whose kingdom is universal, it's eternal, it's supernatural. He came in the flesh. And he's your, your savior and your Lord. Somebody say amen. He's real. He's the real king. He's the real deal. Amen. That's a good title. Mm, real deal. Real deal. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. Amen. It's recognizing who Jesus is yes, as the real deal. He's the real king. Yes, you ought to act like it. Act like you know. You ever, uh, our parents didn't say this to us. You're out and you, you acting like, you, you know, you acting stupid. They would say stuff like this. You, you stupid. You crazy. You know, and they wouldn't just talk. They would be accosting us. They would be what we call me. They would get they would get physical. You know, what's love got to do? No, it wasn't even trying to be nice and no, they grabbed, they they would grip you up. Somebody says, you forgot to iron your clothes. No, I didn't forget to iron my clothes. <laughs> I've been bounced around. <laughs> that our parents they didn't say, you better act like you know. Now, modern parents might say that. But our parents would say, you, I'm going to hurt you. As they are, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. We would be infuriated if we found out that while you were grocery shopping, that your child was stealing groceries. And then you end up having to go to court because they stole so many groceries and were on camera, you know, while you weren't paying attention, you were on your cell phone or whatever, just trying to get through, making sure you get those bargains. And that, and that child and you end up in court, and now there's a real chance that they're going to get punished. And so then they have to get character witnesses. And they say, why shouldn't this child go to 
reform school or be taken away from you or have some severe discipline. You stand up and everybody say, because he lives in a nice neighborhood, both of his parents work, they're educators, they go to, don't, no, they don't go to New Direction Bible Fellowship, but they go to, <laughs> and the judge could easily say, after all the characteristics, tell them what is true in terms of the benefits that are available to your child because of their relationship with you. They could very easily say, he has no excuse. There's no reason why you should be stealing. There's no reason why you ought to have this kind of attitude. There's no reason why you ought to be selfish. There's no reason why you ought to be puffed up in pride. And when you consider the mercy and the grace of your father, when you consider how good God has been to you, and when you stand before him, and the question is, why wouldn't we be generous? We have no excuse. Carry him to jail. <laughs> we have no excuse. Jesus is the real king, and we are his heirs. Whatever belongs to him belongs to you, belongs to me. Why are we acting like penniless paupers? Why are we eating out of spiritual trash cans? Why are we trying to find our self-identity in some man or some woman or some title or some what we got? Our identity is in him. He is the real king. He is the real king of glory. And he has come in today. How do you treat a real king? Here's how you should treat Jesus if you know him as the king of glory. First of all, you should follow him. Say, follow him. Follow him. In Matthew 21, the Bible says that, so, so when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two. They followed Jesus from where they had previously been, even though he said, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be accused, and I'm going to be executed. He said all of that, but they followed him. How do you treat a real king? How do you treat the king of glory? You need to follow him. Who should follow him? You ought to follow him. He says, unless you take up your cross, you, you're not worthy to be called my disciple. This cheap grace ain't grace at all. Sloppy agape ain't agape. agape. It's not, Paul says, how can you who have been delivered from sin continue to live in sin? Meganoita, may it never be. God didn't save you from sin so you can continue to live in sin. He saved you to follow Jesus. Who should follow Jesus? Those of us who placed our trust in him. Have you literally, sincerely given your life to Christ? If you have, you, need, you should be different. If you are now a member of the family of Christ, you are a sheep, not a wolf. And so when your tracks are seen in the snow, you shouldn't see wolf tracks. You ought to see the, the tracks of a lamb. When people do you wrong, you shouldn't be responding as a wolf. You ought to be responding as a gentle lamb. Because the Bible says a soft answer does what? Turn away wrath. There's something about the presence of Jesus in your life because he gives you a quiet and a gentle spirit. It's there. You just need to allow that spirit that's present through him to be activated. There's something supernatural about those who are yielded. Maybe you don't know what that means. To be yielded and controlled by the Lord. They follow him. Why, why is it hard to follow Jesus? Jesus said, Follow me, we got to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a place of suffering. Jerusalem is a place of, 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 of denial where you've got to say no to you. 
but you ought to follow the king. What did they do? They kept, they continued to follow the Lord. So the first thing that you want to do with the king, you need to follow him. Elijah, Elisha prayed. He said, Elijah, the prophet, his mentor said, what can I give you? He said, I want a double portion of your anointing. I want a church that three times, a double time. I want, I want, I want your bank account. No, he wasn't talking about money. And he was talking about power in the ministry. And Elijah said to Elijah, if you follow me, <laughs> sometimes the blessing that you want, you want, you, you want to sit around and, and let the Lord just pour, open up the windows. It don't work like that. He said, try me. You got to tie first. There's something you got to, it's condition. And so Elijah, he said, if you see me, when I depart, when the Lord takes me, I will bless you. So the blessing is in the following. Israel had to follow the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night in order to get to the promised land. If they didn't follow the cloud and the pillar of fire, they, did, they weren't going to get to the promised land. There's some places where God wants to take you, where there's milk and there's honey, there's peace, and there's joy and there's elevation. But until you follow, the, it may not make any sense. It looks kind of stupid. But if you don't follow, you're not getting to where it is that God will take you. Peter, James, and John, they got a chance to see some amazing things. I'm just going to share one other thing. Jesus told them to follow me up to, up to this mountain. And they've been working all day, serving with Jesus all day. I can just hear some of us, don't you know I'm tired? My feet hurt. I don't have no comfortable shoes. We don't drive no cars up in here. Why don't we take a rest, Jesus? They followed him. And when he got to the top of the mountain, the Bible says he was transfigured. They saw a glimpse of the glory. And then Moses and Elijah showed up. And then Peter, oh, my God, I know Elijah and Moses will be here. But we ain't supposed to. Lord, should we make altars for all three? And then the, 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 the icing on the cake, God showed up. He said, this is my beloved son. If they hadn't followed, <laughs> they would have missed the glory. Sometimes if you, you want the glory, but you don't want to follow. You want the crown, but you don't want to carry your cross. How should you treat a king? You ought to, you ought to, you ought to follow him. You remember the story in, in John chapter 6 of 5,000 men. They were hungry. Jesus gave them a fish and a chip, took the two fish, five loaves of bread, and he fed them all. And then he said, let me preach to you all. Let me, let me, let me, let me make it plain. Let me illustrate what I just showed you physically. Let me teach you spiritually. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He was talking about the crucifixion and, and the sacrifice. They said, oh, Jesus, this dude's talking about cannibalism. And this, this, this don't taste like no fishing. It don't taste like no Burger King. This don't taste like no fish fried fruit. No, 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 no. So they had it up and they left. All 5,000 and their little kids went with them. Little cum snatchers. They just packed up their stuff. And the Bible said they never followed him again. <laughs> and Jesus looked at the 12. I don't see too many pastors trying this one. He said, will you go too? <laughs> he said, wait a minute, don't leave. I'll, I'll make some more fish. No, 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 no. He said, he let them all go. Jesus was never about the crowd. You see, thrill seekers make large crowds, but horrible disciples. Horrible disciples. And when he turned to the 12, he said, will you leave too? And then Peter said, where shall we go? 
You have the words of life. All may forsake you, but I, when it comes to the word, I'm going to follow you. They were able to see Jesus perform all kinds of miracles. The Bible says, if you, if you abide in me and my words, if you stay close, somebody needs to stay close. You know, the reason you don't hear his voice, the reason why you feel so distant, seem like you're in a dry and a desert place. I wonder if you've been abiding in him. He said, if you abide, if you stay close to me and my word, here's how you know you're abiding in him. Because his word is abiding in you. It's controlling your footsteps. He said, you can ask whatever you will. Because it's going to be according to my will, because you're depending on my word, and it'll be done. You must obey the king. Say obey. So the disciples, in verse 6, they went, and they did what he commanded. Here's what he commanded. This is what's really strange. This is on Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday. He said, go, find Loose and bring back a colt, a donkey, a baby donkey, to me. One caveat, I don't own it, and I don't even know who the owner is. But when the owner said, what in the world you're doing, what are you doing? Say to him, the Lord has need. How many of you know the Lord has need? The Lord has need. But what caused the owner to release what the Lord needed was his word. <laughs> You want God to release to you what belongs to him. You need to call back what is his, what, what God responds to. He responds to his word. We struggle with obeying the word of God because the word of God, sometimes it don't make no sense. He said, go get a coat, go get a donkey that doesn't even belong to me. Sometimes the Lord is telling you to pray for people that don't even speak to you. You come in a room, they act like you're not even there. Sometimes he's asked you to pray for somebody who took your husband or took your wife or did something horrible to your children, and he said, pray for them. Nah, that's not, I don't see that in the Bible. Well, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, throughout the hours he hung there, he kept saying, Father, forgive them. For they know not, they, 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 he said, they don't fully understand this. If they understood that I'm the king of glory. Sometimes people, when they hurt you and do things to you, they don't understand who they're messing with. You are the king's child. You are a nation of priests, a royal, you're, you're a nation of, uh, you're royalty. A holy nation of priests. Your guy's telling you, don't make no sense. I want to pray for him, right? i put some knuckles on him. As long as it don't mess up my nails. How do you know when the Lord is commanding you to do something, when the king is telling you what to do? In verse 5 it says, and it, and it, it, it will always, here's what it will always, when the Lord is telling you to do something, it will agree with the word. Now, if you don't know your Bible, you won't know if it agrees with the scripture. All this was done that it might fulfill which was spoken by the prophets. This is verse 4. This was the word of God. He was asking them to do something that was already in the scriptures in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Tell the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming, lowly and seated on a donkey, a coat, a fall of a donkey. And so when the, how do you know when God is telling you to do something? It'll agree with his word. It may not always be the exact verse 
or a scripture. God will put something on your heart to do. You'll have a burden for something or someone. And then when, when it's for you to do, you can, you can confirm it with the word. Somebody say amen. amen. You, must use, you must use the king's word. When they got to the man, the man said, what are you doing? I caught you. They said, the, the Lord has need. And all he needed to hear was the, word, the Lord's word. Sometimes you telling somebody off or talking about someone, we call that gossip. You tell, you're saying something behind somebody's back that you won't say to their face. And, or we say something to somebody's face, but we'll never say it behind their back. We call that flattery. If we would simply go back, we say we Bible believe in Bible, you committed to the word of God. Jesus said it. I know it. It's in red. And so I know it's inspired. But if we would, when you find yourself under attack and the flesh wants to react to what the enemy is doing, if we would simply, this is the, this, the Bible says the word is a sword. The word is a hammer. The word is like fire. The word is a cleansing agent. The word can do anything that God says it can do. How about using it sometimes? So when the man said, Lord, wait a minute, why are you taking this? It doesn't belong. You're still, he said, the Lord. When, they, when the man heard the word from the Lord, he immediately released it. There's some things that the Lord will immediately release to you the first time you discipline your children by using the Bible. He'll release them from some stuff. That, that you thought that this, that's demon possession. No, use the word of God against what you are confronting. And when the word of God is used, it will cut between. Use the king's word. Somebody say amen. I'm going to use the king's word. Here's another thing. Not only should you use the king's word to accomplish his will, and you ought to know his commandments, but you should also give the king your best. In verses 6 and 7, when they got the donkey... And they saw Jesus riding on a donkey. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. Are you still with me? And so the disciples, when they did as Jesus commanded them, they brought the donkey and the coat, laid their coats on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude put their clothes and their palms on the road. So it's one thing for you to do like some people do. All of those who were part of the multitude, they started putting their coats they cut palms down, and that was a way to acknowledge royalty, to acknowledge that they were saying that Jesus, un unfortunately, they were thinking of Jesus as an earthly king, not as the heavenly king, the Messiah. But what the, what the disciples did, they weren't just satisfied with allowing others to contribute to Jesus. They took their own coats, and they placed on the donkey. What are you giving to the Lord? What are you willing to sacrifice for the Lord? David said, what shall I render unto the Lord for all that he's done? Isn't it amazing that most of the work that's done in the church is done by 10% of the church? And 90%, and I'm telling you, churches aren't getting smaller. Some are growing much larger. But the churches, more than, more than not, the people that go to those churches are sitting there as spectators. Spectators. Even when it comes to giving, and we don't make a big deal about offerings here, but if 10% of 90% of, of the members are tithing, 
what we're saying. We say, Hosanna, Hosanna. We're saying all the right things, and we're getting blessed, and we, 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 love, we love you, Jesus. But are you giving the Lord your best? We're praying for mansions. Well, Lord said, he's not going to hardly be trouble. Believe in God. Believe in God. I got a mansion waiting for me. I know my reservations are made. I can't wait to get the glory when I'm about 99 years old. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to read my last. When I don't, you know, we want to give the Lord, build the Lord a shack. We want a mansion, but we want to build the Lord a shack. Are you giving the Lord your best? He's the king of glory. Here's the best way to know how, one of the greatest ways to know how you're growing in your faith. Has the Lord also saved your pocketbook? You can, you can easily determine so where your treasures are. That's where your heart will be. You want to know what you love? What are you spending your money on? Uh-oh. I'm sorry. We're going to move on. <laughs> but hey, we, we're talking about the king of glory. I'm talking about being an heir and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about having the word of God that sets the cap. I'm, I'm talking about all of that. But I'm also saying what the disciples did, they gave the Lord their best. They took their coats off and they put it on the back of the donkey so that he could ride. What are you taking off and giving to the Lord? I'm not just talking about out of your comfort. What are you sacrificially giving? What are you trusting God for that if he took it away, you wouldn't miss it? Sacrifice involves being pulled to a place where if something is taken from, you actually know it's gone. Sacrifice is not comfort. What has the Lord been troubling your heart about? Something that you could be doing with someone. It's not always finances. What does he, do you need to get up earlier in the morning? Do you need to pick somebody? Do you need to go out of your way? Whatever it is, that's how your faith stays strong. That's how the fire keeps burning. That's how the Lord keeps releasing to you new levels of strength and power. Anybody want power? Anybody want to be used of the Lord? Well, then you need to give him your best. Here's the thing, interesting thing about that. I can't tell what your best is. I'm not grading you, but the Lord knows. He said, in that day, we, every man's work shall be tried according to what sort it is. Woods, double, or hay. You, yours may look like precious stone, silver, and gold. But when you stand before the Lord, when I stand before the Lord, he's going to separate the, what was just for show. Some of us talk about, we got brick houses. The Lord said, no, I huffed and I puffed. I blew that thing down because it was shallow. It was shaky. It was superficial. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. The issue is, are you trusting the promises that he's already given you? Are you walking in faith based on what the Lord has revealed to you? Are you willing to trust him by one step at a time? You're talking about running a mile. You haven't taken the first step. Trust him with the best that you have. What sacrifice are you willing to make? God said, try me. Try me. You still with me? We're running. You should praise and worship the king. And a very great multitude spread their clothes. A praise and worship is not just for the, the praise and worship team. Uh, praise and worship is not just raising your hands and saying uh, 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 a lot of amens and so forth. All that's a part of it. But praise and worship, every time you act in obedience, you're worshiping the Lord. Somebody say amen. Others cut down branches in the trees and they spread them on the road. Then multitudes who went before, uh, went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna, save now. To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of Jehovah. Blessed is he. Hosanna. They were praising and worshiping the Lord. 
they were acting like they were at an Eagles game. Or like when I was watching the Sixers last night and about to break the TV in half. You know how we get brothers. We, we, we all right. Go on, go on, honey. You can raise your hand. Go on, honey. You can praise the Lord. No, no, no. Anybody telling you to get, up, get all loud and indignant when you're watching your team? But the last I know, no, no, my team has never scored a touchdown for me. And by the way, I am an observer. They ain't my team. I ain't playing. I ain't practicing. And they sure ain't paying me. But the king of glory, the king that has entered into his courts, he is the one who is there in the midnight hour. He is the one that teaches you how to love your wife as Christ loved the church. He's the one who enables you to truly be one flesh. And yet, we're not praising him. <laughs> People say, why are you so successful? Why are you so intelligent? Why are you so successful? Oh, well, I guess it's my college education. Okay. The Lord is the one who has blessed us. Praise announces visibly and, and, and verbally what the king has done and what he's capable of. So when we're praising, that's external. It says to the world what he has done and what the Lord can do. Worship acknowledges the king for who he is. If you never do another thing, you're holy, you're righteous, you're just. And guess what? He didn't become just because he made, did something for you. He was always just. He was always holy. He was always righteous. That's what worship acknowledges. Praise is seeking God while worshiping is being found by him. Praise is the key that opens the door into the king's presence while worship happens once you get inside. That's when you lose yourself. You start off thinking the key to get into the presence is praise. That's why some of you don't ever get into the presence. You got into church. You got in your Bible. You said a prayer. You said a prayer or something. I'm talking about using the ignition key to get into the presence of the Lord. And then when you get there, you're not even here anymore. You're physically present, but you're spiritually absent. That's worship. That's how you can end up flat on your face in your newest dress. Somebody brought it for you, and it cost a lot of money. You, 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 you thought about it. Even I ain't know I'm going to wear it to that church because they don't have cushioned seats. But, and, but and the next thing you know, the Lord got you prostrate. That ain't just for Pentecostals. That's for any born-again, blood-washed Christian who is yielded to the Spirit of God. Praise is seeking the presence while worship is enjoying God's presence. Praise is the appetizer. Some of us go, you know how we go to our spirit. You get to give me an appetizer. But worship is a full course meal. Have you learned how to say Hosanna save now? Not when you're in a desperate state, but just recognizing him for who he is. How you, have you been able to push past your in, to worrying about who's next to you and worrying about more, being more concerned that it's about him and not them? You ought to praise the king. You ought to fear the king, too. In verses 12 through 21, Jesus turned the tables over. Jesus has righteous indignation. He may turn some stuff over in your life. He may pull some covers back to expose you. And then he went out. He was hungry. The Bible says he saw a fig tree, and the fig tree was not producing. God has given you some fruit to produce your spiritual gifts. And if you're not using them, but the Bible said he cursed the fig tree. And the next day when the disciples came back and passed, the fig tree was dead. You ought to fear the king. You ought to tell everybody that you can tell about the king. 
The multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth. You should bring your problems to Jesus. Everybody that was sick, anybody sick, anybody need healing? You got any problems in your life? You need to bring them to Jesus. Bring them to the king. The last thing you need to do, you need to love the king with all your heart. Do you love him? Do you love the king? Do you love him? He's the king of glory. Who is this king of glory? What's his name? What's his, oh, Lord, what's his name? What's his name? Would you stand with me? He's the real king. And we need to treat him as he is. A man became very jealous when his best friend purchased a home that was more expensive and luxurious than his own. He couldn't stand the thought that his friend had a nicer house than him. So he immediately called the realtor and said, this house has got, my house has got to go in the market. We got to sell this thing. I got to do better. I got to get something more expensive and more luxurious. Obviously, he wasn't saying all this to the realtor. None of us who are sophisticated and, and humble would ever acknowledge these things. So the realtor put the house on the market, and every single day, the homeowner would look into the paper to see what houses were available. And weeks went by. He could never find anything that was as expensive and luxurious. And then finally, there it was. There it was. The house that would outshine his neighbor's house. The house that would be more uh, luxurious and expensive. He immediately called the realtor. He said, I've got to have it. I've got to have this house. When can I sign my name on the dotted line? He said, you already own that house. That's your house. <laughs> That's on the market. Sometimes, when you don't know what you have, you're looking for another experience. If I could just sing like she sang, and if I could just speak in another language, if I could bark like a dog, if I could crawl like a cat, if I could leap over tall buildings in a single barrel, if I could just have an extra, if I had more of this and more of that, everything you need that you're searching for in Jesus is yours. He is in him. The fullness of God dwells. You simply need to withdraw. But he's not obligated to give you anything if you don't treat him like what he really is. Act like you know. Stop acting like you don't know Jesus. Stop acting like you've never been saved. Stop acting like you don't have all that the Father needs for you to accomplish the assignment that he has given to you. Act like you know. He is the King of Kings. Who is this King? Who is this King? Who is this King? Father, we bless you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.